Hello, Jill. Hi, Steve. Uh, today we have a special guest, and maybe you can introduce him. We have Mr. Stephen Coyle with us, who is a very funny guy, gets people laughing around uh, the KP Wood slash Link office, and he's going to talk to us today about his experience living and teaching in Japan. Uh, we might just explain that KP Wood, of course, is a company involved in the international trade of uh, lumber, wood products, with offices in two Canadian provinces, in Sweden and in Japan. Stephen Coyle is responsible for sales to Japan and uh, purchasing in Sweden, so he travels a lot to both Japan and to Sweden. In fact, you're going off to Sweden next week. But in his previous career, he was a teacher in Japan. So let me go back, Stephen, to there you were. Whenever, Tell us when it was and what your feelings were as you went out to Japan for the first time. Uh, a couple of years after graduating from university, I decided to move to Japan, uh, partly to teach English and partly to study Japanese language and culture and business. Uh, so 19, in April of 1990, I arrived in Japan, which was right near the end of the bubble economy in Japan. So times were still good those days. Teachers got paid a lot of yen. Uh, there were a lot of uh, after-work dinner parties, etc. And uh, we, had a, we had a fun time. And, and what were your expectations? I mean, you had grown up in Canada and perhaps, I think, traveled around in North America, maybe elsewhere, but you hadn't been to Japan before, Asian country... Uh, what did you expect, and how was your experience there different from your expectations? Yes, I had grown up, uh, well, in seven or eight different cities throughout North America, and I traveled around the world, mostly Australia, Europe. Uh, in Asia, the only places I had been to were Thailand and Hong Kong. So I thought that Tokyo would be similar to Hong Kong. Um, when I got there, I was surprised to see that actually it's quite a different place than Hong Kong a little more organized, and uh, just uh, the pace is different. Um, and you went there with the intention of teaching English. Uh, did you have a job before you went there, or how did you get your job? Yes, I was hired by a, uh, a company, Geos Language Systems in Japan, which at the time was the world's largest English academy. And they have a branch office in Vancouver where I was interviewed and trained and hired. And they sent me to Japan. And my prerequisite for the job was that I wanted to live in Tokyo. I did not want to live in the countryside because my stereotype or image of the countryside was that it would be quite backwards. Little did I know it was, it was far from the truth. And so you, now did you study, I know Jill, you took a course in teaching English as a second language. Uh, how long was that course and what did that amount to? I think it was, wow, maybe one to two months. I can't remember. Every, I think it was every day. It was Monday to Friday, I believe, for one month. So four and a half weeks or something like that. Um, and... It was really there were only a few native speakers, English speakers in the class, myself and maybe three other people. And the rest of the class um, were Japanese, Japanese and Korean, I think, were the two main groups. Yeah, you know, I, I, I have seen some of these people who have these degrees in teaching English as a second language. 
and I've often felt that many of them could benefit by joining Link and improving their English. That's not to be unfair. And I know myself, uh, when I studied French in our school system, our French teachers at school couldn't speak French. So, I mean, there's nothing unusual about a language teacher teaching a language that they're not really uh, fluent in. But uh, did you, Stephen, have to take a course in any kind of specialized English as a second language uh, teaching methodology? No, I didn't. Actually, in those days in 1990, uh, there was such a demand for teachers in Japan that basically anybody who had a university diploma uh, could get a visa and could find a company to hire them quite easily in Japan. And in those days, we were more entertainers than we were teachers. We had to look good, which when I was a younger man, I was a little more handsome, a little bit thinner. We had to look good. We had to smile. We had to keep the students entertained. That's what we were told to do entertain them so they would keep renewing their memberships and continue to study English. But you know, that's not an entirely bad philosophy. Uh, rather than trying to teach them, you know, the dry rules of grammar, that's what we asked Jill to do uh, on her uh, chats with people. And so the people want to come back and chat to Jill and they, they come and visit Jill and, and, and so forth. So it's, it's all about entertaining. But seriously, though, uh, we do believe at, the, at, at Link that if you're having a good time, if you're enjoying the language, you're more likely to learn. And if you make it a very onerous burden, people will just not do it. Which brings me to another question. You had um, learners in the class, and maybe you can tell us a little bit about the kinds of learners you had. And I'm just curious if they studied outside the classroom or if most of their learning took place when they were with you. Most of their, uh, well, actually, most of my students were between the age of 18 to 30 university students uh, trying to improve their English so that they could get hired by an international company, or people, uh, young businessmen, young businesswomen that wanted to use English in business. They, they were all quite busy, and ba the only time that they really studied English was in the class with me once or twice a week. You have to remember in 1990 to 1993, there was no Internet, so it was very difficult to find English materials to study other than books or uh, going to watch a movie or, or renting a video. And uh, did the, your students improve? Or, or I'm sure some, many of them did. And what percentage, how many of them, let's say, out of, out of 10, typically, how many would do well? How many would do not progress at all? I don't know, Jill, if you want to comment on this. I see you wanted to... No, I was just going to say how many stayed the same. You know, were with you for a year and after a year, basically, had their level hadn't changed at all. I would assume that would be quite common. Well, I was quite proud of my efforts there. Uh, I mean, I, I did prepare a lot for my classes to make them entertaining as well as educational. But no matter how hard I prepared, it all depended on the student. And especially in Japan, where a lot of people, uh, especially the men, are quite shy to speak a foreign language, uh, some people progress quickly and some progress slowly and some didn't progress. Typically, the young women uh, progressed much faster than the men because I think they didn't have as much pride or, or embarrassment. Um, so it really depended on the student, but I would say... I would say 60 to 70% of the students in a, in a one-year period, you could notice a, a definite improvement. And uh, how many were there in each class, and how much were the students paying per hour for their session? Well, we had some students taking private lessons, which, of course, is only one student per class. At the time, it was uh, nine to 10,000 yen 
an hour, which would be about $100 Canadian. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it, it was quite expensive, so I really tried my best to prepare for those classes because I felt bad that the students were paying that much money. Of course, they weren't paying to me. They were paying to the school. In the group lessons, we would have anywhere from four to eight students. Now, you then uh, you came back to Canada after some years, and then perhaps tell us a little bit about your second career. Well, when I returned to Canada, you have to remember, before I went to Japan, I was working for the Canadian government in the trade division, which uh, spurred on my interest in international trade, which was the main reason I moved to Japan, to study Japanese and do trade with Japan. Uh, so when I returned to Canada, I was lucky enough to find a uh, company that was trading lumber to Japan, which is the company I'm with now, KP Wood Limited, www.kpwood.com. And I've been here ever since. It's been 14 years now trading lumber with Japan. <laughs> 